Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Our guest today is Erika Lucas, co-founder of Stitch Crew and Vest. Stitch Crew, in partnership with the NBA team, the Oklahoma City Thunder, runs an accelerated program to connect entrepreneurs with the capital, resources, and networks they need to launch and scale businesses. Vest is a curated network of highly influential women across businesses and civic sectors working together to dismantle the barriers precluding more women from reaching positions of power and influence. Prior to launching her own ventures, Erica was a private equity partner and led the global division at the Oklahoma Department of Commerce. She serves on multiple private and public boards, including the board of directors of Arvest Bank. Now, please join me in a great chat with Erica Lucas. Erica, welcome to the Wharton Fintech podcast. We are thrilled that you're able to join us. Can we start by hearing a little bit about yourself and your personal background? Yes, yes. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So I'm Erica Lucas. I'm one of the co-founders for Stitch Group. And in partnership with our local NBA team, which is the best NBA team in the nation, (laughs) the Oklahoma City Thunder, we run an accelerator program that connects uh, startups with capital and resources so they can start and grow companies here in the middle of the country. That's basically my day-to-day job, and we have fun doing that. Fantastic. And so tell us a little bit about your career and where did you get started And how did it lead you to eventually launching Stitch Crew? My background, it's like all over the place, you know, and I used to be conscious about it because I didn't have like a clear path that led me to where I am now. But I'm now like, you know, I think it's a superpower. And if anybody ever reads the book Range, the author is going to skip my mind, but it's a really recent book called Range. And then that kind of gave me the affirmation that I've needed all of these years. But starting my career in Mexico, actually, teaching executives conversational English. I did that to put myself or to pay for college. And then one of those executives actually offered me a job to help multinational companies establish operations in Mexico. So the manufacturing industry and the manufacturers. So I did that. So I tell people my career has evolved from kind of like flipped. I used to help multinational companies and now I help startups. But I did that for a while um, in Mexico. And then when I migrated to the United States, I worked for the Department of Commerce here in the state of Oklahoma. And I basically did what I did in Mexico. I recruited international companies to invest in the state of Oklahoma. And one of the industries that we were heavily recruiting at the time was aerospace and defense. And so I did that, recruited a few companies, and then I ended up working at a private equity firm that invested exclusively in aerospace and defense because of all the work that we did in that sector. And then about three years ago, I came across the huge funding gap that exists for women and people of color in venture capital. And I wanted to do something about it. And I realized that in private equity, it was too late at that point because you know, with latter stage investments, you're coming in at a point where the companies are already somewhat mature. So I wasn't really going to be able to help the gap there. 
So that's when I decided to launch our own company and our own initiative and launch Stitch Crew with my husband, actually, who is a serial entrepreneur. And that's what led me to what we're doing now. That's impressive. Did you decide to focus on entrepreneurs based in Oklahoma City specifically? So the funding gap that we came across with wasn't just with you know uh, people's background; it was actually demographically. So seventy eight percent of venture capital is spent in three states, all of them which are in the coastal area, so Silicon Valley, New York, Massachusetts. And what we started noticing was that a lot of entrepreneurs were leaving not just Oklahoma, but the middle of the country because they felt like they needed to go to one of these places to start their high growth company. And so we didn't necessarily focus just in Oklahoma. We wanted to kind of do a play in the I-35 corridor or in the middle of the country. I don't know what to call us because we're not really the Midwest. I don't consider ourselves the South. So I think that the Walton Family Foundation came up with the best, I guess, name for us, which was the Heartland. And that's just kind of what stuck. And tell us about the connection with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah. So again, I tie it all to my background. So when I was at Commerce and helping foreign direct investment, although I focus on international recruitment, we did a lot of national recruitment as well. And so we actually recruited the Thunder. We used to not have an MBA team. And I won't bore you with the story of how that came around, but we built great relationships with the ownership of the Thunder, with the executive team. And how this came about, it was honestly, we had already launched Stitch Crew, my husband and I. We were already working with entrepreneurs and investors. But um, I think it was over drinks, honestly, that we were talking to one of the executives at the Thunder and we were talking about you know, how can we really help the new generation? How can we spur economic development in a different way in our state and in our region? Because it's important for them too, right? The Thunder also took a big shot at coming into what many consider a smaller market and a flyover country. And so for them, it's super important that our economy and our community is thriving. So their business is also successful. So we, it started like that. We've talked about accelerators in other parts of the country. And we said, well, why don't we do one together? And that's how we ended up doing the partnership. Some of the best things happen over drinks, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and is your mandate related to sports or basketball specifically? No. Great question. No. And we were very intentional, both of us, actually. The Thunder never wanted it to be something that was just about them they realized that, again, we were more focused on how do we diversify our economy? How do we retain talent here? How do we recruit talent and capital to a region? So from the very beginning, we decided we were going to be agnostic and just be opportunistic and look and fund and support the best entrepreneurs and companies that we saw out there. So we weren't really focused on a specific industry or sector, and we never felt the pressure to this date from them to just focus on sports tech or hospitality. Although, because by nature, obviously, we get a lot of applications and some of the companies that have gone through our program are in the sports tech and hospitality realm, but it's not because we were exclusively looking for those companies. Got it. Would love to hear some of the examples of the portfolio companies that you have and also you know, what's been your approach to understanding the team and and really discerning 
one company from another? So, you know, I think we're lucky because my husband, as I mentioned, who's also my business partner, is a serial entrepreneur. We've had a couple of businesses, took one to exit. We had some failures. So we know what it feels like to build a company. Honestly, we put a lot of emphasis on the team. And I know that a lot of VCs and a lot of investors say that. But for us, it really it really is super important because we've been in those shoes. And you can kind of discern pretty quickly which teams and which founders are really passionate about the problem that they're solving. They really understand the market. They're self-aware founders, meaning they know what they don't know and they're not afraid to ask for help. So we look a lot for those type of teams. Some of the companies, they're all over the place. We've helped ag tech companies because by nature where we are, ag tech is a big sector all across the I-35 corridor, actually. So we've helped some ag tech companies that basically help cattle producers use genetic information to perform or to do a better job at braiding cattle. And they've now even launched a marketplace for direct sales. They're doing great. So that's one of the examples of the company. The name of the company is AgBoost. All the way to, we had a cannabis, it's a tech company supporting the cannabis industry. So it's kind of like an HR platform that helps them recruit, retain, and train workforce in the cannabis space. And that's all of the transactions within the platform. So really, it's been all over the place. In just two years, we've helped 51 companies. So it's, I mean, gosh, I can spend all hour talking about the different type of companies that we've helped. That's impressive. And what's your average check size? So we actually run the accelerator as a non-equity and non-profit route. And we did that for a couple of reasons. The first one being our focus was really to increase the density of startups in our region. Oklahoma in the middle of the country, I think, obviously, if you look at the companies that are headquartered here, they started as a small company at some point. But I think particularly in our state, we've kind of forgotten that and we've become more of a corporate state. And really, we, although we're a great place to start businesses, there wasn't a lot of businesses getting started. So our goal from the very beginning was to build the rapport and the trust with the startup community. And so we decided to do it as a nonprofit. We don't trade equity. We don't take board seats. And we also don't charge anything to go through our program. But we also don't write checks. So what we do is we partner with investors. And remember, I also mentioned that 78% of fund managers or funds or deployment of capital is in three states. So for us, it was very important that instead of raising one fund and maybe helping 10, 20 companies, We wanted to help as many as we can and then partner with investors all over the country to invest in those companies. So, but to your point, when we come in at the place that we come in with companies, it's usually through series, through a seed all the way through series A. It's kind of the stage of companies that we work with. Perfect. So let's talk a little bit about a different role that you have. And it's pretty unique. It's a unique point of view. And you sit on the board of a community bank, Arvest Bank specifically. And I know you're very well versed on the topic of community banks and how the fintech revolution is touching community banks. I think there's a topic that our listeners would love to hear about. The role of community banks in startup. 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, again, going back to the funding gap, one of the problems or opportunities, I don't think it's a problem, I think it's an opportunity that we saw was the 1% of startups ever raise venture capital. It's actually the other reason why we didn't want to be an equity or a for-profit accelerator, because we wanted to help companies that want to grow through revenue and through other forms of capital infusion, as opposed to just venture capital. And so less than 1% of startups ever raise venture and about 80% of startups are never able to access traditional bank loans. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And I'm generalizing, but if you look at the data, that one of the problems is for banks to make a loan that's less than $100,000 profitable, it's now almost, I mean, it's pretty hard to do. And that's where community banks come in, right, to be able to support companies in small businesses, main street businesses, or startups in that realm. The problem, too, though, is that a lot of community banks are disappearing. They're either being acquired or they're consolidating or it's getting harder and harder for them to be sustainable and to be profitable. And so, you know, I'm lucky that Arvis actually, we're a private bank and so we're pretty well capitalized. We are a community bank, but we also have a large footprint through the country. And so we're pretty lucky in that sense. But we also have that community bank relationship with the communities that we serve and with the customers that we serve. So we're very lucky in that realm. But I don't think that a lot of other banks are in that realm because of what I've just said. It's getting harder and harder to do so. And then the other thing I would say is, you know, because of the regulation that often is passed in Washington, D.C., rightly so, to try to regulate the big banks, the large banks that maybe have done things that were questionable. Unfortunately, what has happened is that the regulation that was supposed to regulate the big banks trickled down to the small banks, which makes it harder for us to operate. And I say us, I shouldn't put necessarily our best in that, but it makes it harder for a lot of smaller bank and community banks to operate under such scrutiny. And because of that, as an example of how it relates to startups, when you are a startup, if you're a first-time founder and you don't have the history or the track record and you don't have the collateral, it's really hard for you to go to a bank and de-risk that opportunity, right, for the bank to come in. And so then you go, okay, well, then the next route is venture capital. But what if your startup can't yet prove that it's scalable and that can be that high growth company? Then the other option is, okay, you look for grants or you look for other source of capital infusion. There's now funds that are starting that are more revenue-based investments. But even at that point, a lot of those don't come in until you have some sort of reoccurring revenue. So I do think that the community banks, the challenger banks have an opportunity here to continue to fill that gap. And we all need to be talking about how do we continue to fund all of those businesses that, you know, could be great businesses for our community, but there's some struggle in getting them funded. Yeah. And have you seen some examples of financial technology startups actually partnering with community banks or, you know, banks like Arvest to actually help overcome some of this regulatory challenges, right? The, the regulatory burden, as you mentioned, is real and it's expensive to navigate, right? So that's where the promise of technology can help. Yes, of course. I mean, we partner with a lot of startups. In fact, there's them. I'm not going to remember what we actually call it, like the formal name, but we have kind of like a discovery 
team uh, that in headquarters, that's all they do. They go and look for startups that are doing things differently that we can either partner with or perhaps even invest in them. So yes, we're actively always looking. Actually, the regulation makes it harder for us to work with a lot of startups because again, we have to operate under the standard regulations of banks. And some of the startups, when they get started, are not really worried about the regulation because part of being a startup is you want to disrupt the status quo. You want to do things differently. And because you're not at a level where you're going to be regulated as harshly as an established bank, you really don't take, sometimes, I'm not saying that all startups, but a lot of startups don't take into account the regulation that may come after they reach a certain level of scalability. So it actually makes it hard for some banks to partner. But nevertheless, yes, I do see a lot of partnerships happening, not just with Arbest, but with other community banks. You know, And I think we're seeing it too with the PPP. There was a lot of startups that were trying to find solutions that could deliver products maybe faster or move a little bit faster than banks. And you saw a lot of partnerships through that end as well. Yeah, you, you bring a good example. The PPP was really at time for companies with good technology to really shine, for efficient companies, efficient banks to really shine. It's like an x-ray of the real situation of every company. Yeah, 100%. It also highlighted where we fall short, right? Uh, and when I say we, it's not just the, the financial institutions, but governments, local EDOs, at local municipality level, you know, uh, levels of government where we need to be paying more attention and how we are servicing uh, first our citizens and people, but also our businesses. And speaking of the PPP and the current crisis, how has the COVID-19 crisis impacted community banks? Because right? it seems like, for example, large banks, they immediately announced there will be no COVID-related layoffs on this year. And they were very quick to respond. That's because also they have the capital to do that. It's not the same case for community banks. I think that we're still learning, honestly, on how COVID-19 will continue to impact our communities, our institutions. I mean, I would say, you know, I can speak for Arvest and even other banks that we have relationships with, but we have such a close connection with the customers that we serve that we were able to service them a lot faster and then help them, you know, get them prepared to apply for the PPP and do all of that. And we were able to serve people that weren't necessarily in our customer base, but they needed a bank that could help them process and expedite that application. So that was good. And I do think that the PPP helped and banks that were able to meet the demand and, and to offer services were able to really help the community. But I think that the ultimate impact of how COVID is going to affect all of us is still yet to see. I mean, and I'm talking more at the individual level, not necessarily the institutions, but I still see businesses struggling, particularly Main Street businesses, uh, businesses that have brick and mortar uh, retail businesses. I don't know about where you are, but here we're getting a second wave of cases rising now. And so there's talk about potential shutting down again. I don't know that it would happen, particularly in our state. Um, but, you know, I do still worry about the businesses. I think, you know, we at Arvest are 100% dedicated to supporting our customers any way that we can. 
but it's just, it's not only up to us, right? It's, it's the market, it's consumer behavior, it's safety, it's how we respond at the government, at the federal, local, state level. So I think it's, it's still yet to see how we all, what the true impact is and how we all rise up to it. Erica, switching gears a little bit, I know you are involved with a recent organization actually called VEST. Could you tell us a little bit more about VEST? Yes. So you're actually going to be one of the first public platforms where we talk about it because we weren't planning on on a soft launch until Q4, but I'm happy to do it. So VEST is basically a new organization entity that we've started in partnership with other very powerful women in our region. And it's basically a curated network of highly impactful women that want to change the status quo in different realms. So one of the challenges that we see is, you know, for example, I am very passionate about solving this funding gap that exists for entrepreneurs. But I can't just work in silos because even if I raise a fund and I start investing in women and people of color and people in the middle of the country, I'm just one person, one fund. I'm not going to be able to make change at scale. I also need systemic barriers to go away in education and the financial system and our healthcare system. And so in order to do that, I need to partner with other women in those sectors so we can have these conversations in a holistic way and then solve them in a holistic way. I think that there's so much good intention around our country from people that actually want to help, not just complain about the problems. The problems is that we tend to silo ourselves to our industry or to the sector that we're helping. And so VEST is a way to, to recruit women across sectors and men too. So it's women and allies. It's not just exclusive to women, although we're highly focused on that, but um, it's, it's to recruit them from across sector, whether it's venture capital, corporate America, civic and government. We're recruiting women that want to partner with us to solve the challenges together. And yeah, we're excited. More to come in Q4 of what that initiative is going to look like moving forward, but we're very, very excited about it. That's really exciting and admire you having your, your hands in so many things at the same time. Uh, well, Erica, before we go, uh, we always like to ask our guests a little bit about their personal side. And, and I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about your, your hobbies and how you spend some of your time outside of the many, many initiatives that you're involved with? Oh, yeah. I do have a life, I promise. And how I, so I have, to, um, which is the main, you know, driving behind everything that I do because I want them to have the same equal opportunities as their male peers when they grow up. I'm also from Mexico. So they also happen to be Latinas and immigrant. Well, I'm an immigrant. They're not, they were born here. So I spend a lot of time with them and my husband, Chris, you know, I would say pre-COVID, we love to travel. That's another reason we wanted to launch a company where we had the opportunity to take off when needed for a long periods of time. And so, so we love to travel. But now with COVID, I guess some of the hobbies that we picked out, you know, um, we grew a garden. So we are learning how to grow the basics, like tomato, jalapenos, the, you know, to make our salsas at home. I, we grew cilantro as well. You're um, self-sustainable. Exactly. We wanted to do... Well, you know why we did that too? One of the companies that we helped through our program, it's called uh, From Seed to Spoon. And they teach people how to grow their own produce. 
And they also help you grow it based on health outcomes that you want to achieve. So what, what can I grow if I have diabetes or if I have, you know, certain health challenges, what can I grow that will help me? And then they give you recipes and all of that. So we actually started using from seed to spoon and then started growing our own and looking at some of these recipes uh, to test the product and then to help them give, give feedback. But then we got hooked on it and it's great. It's now the one of the number one apps for, for gardening on iTunes. So, so we love them. I've done what most people have done, which, you know, it's a guilty pleasure, but been watching on Netflix. We get to that point where we're just binge watching on Netflix. We're like, watching silly shows, you know, to kind of de-plug and not turn the, the brain off for a little bit. So that's kind of what we're doing because we're trying to be safe and quarantine as much as we can. Well, Erica, again, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a very interesting and educating conversation. And, you know, we look forward to hopefully meeting in person sometime soon. I would love to host you. If you want to come down here, we'll take you to a Thunder game, hopefully at a time where we can have sports back and gather uh, as a community. And we'd love to host you for a game and to introduce you to all the startups we've been working with. That, that's a deal. Well, thank you, Erica. Thank you so much. Muchas gracias. Hasta la próxima. A ti, a ti. Gracias. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.